Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast. Brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today is romance. While Valentine's Day is still a bit away, we have our resident expert and bachelor expert, Krista Cannell, who had to sit down with Michael Alio to chat about what it was like being on the show and what's up with his life since he's been back in Northeast Ohio. But before we get to that, it's time for some commercials. First, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. Well, it's January, and it's after the Brown season, so it's time to think draft and think about next year. The Brown season ended disappointedly, but our sports reporters have been all over whether Baker Mayfield will be back, and indications so far is that him and Coach Stefanski did have a good meeting, but our staff is all over what the prospects are for the draft and also what the prospects are for the Browns, with or without Baker Mayfield, next season. It seems you need an old-fashioned map to get around the city of Akron as construction continues, causing headaches for motorists and some confusion along the way. Eric Morota has been covering this for us, and he will tell you what this year will bring for the Central Interchange Project as it enters yet another year, and what to expect in terms of road closings in the coming weeks and months and, in fact, about every day. Love your old flip phone or one of those early generation smartphones? Well, you may be in trouble. Our reporter Betty Lynn Fisher tells us that the 3G network phones are being phased out and you may soon forcefully have to upgrade. For more on these stories and more, you can always visit BeaconJournal.com and all our various apps, or you can subscribe online to our digital editions or the old-fashioned print edition. And now for our spotlight topic, we're going to turn to Krista Cannell, who had to sit down with Mike Alio to talk about life after The Bachelor and what life has been like for him since he's been back in Northeast Ohio. So Krista, take it away. So um, I guess we'll start with, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in uh, like the Bath area. Okay. Yeah, Hoban Knight, what was that, class 2002 okay. at Hoban. What were your like favorite Akron area things to do growing up? Did the typical stuff, you know, playing sports, hanging out with friends. Um, I've always loved like the metro parks mm-hmm. and like hiking and, you know, being outside. I think it's, I think people who normally come to Akron, they don't understand how like lucky we are to actually have all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty much it growing up because by the time I went to Chicago, like I was 18, mm-hmm. so I didn't enjoy the bar scene. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when did you become, really jumping ahead, when did you become aware of The Bachelor as a show? Oh, was that on, ever on in your house? Or? So 
Laura was actually a huge fan of the show and it wasn't until after we got married when I would come home and she'd be watching it and I'd be watching something else in the other room and we would act, we'd be spending the entire night apart. So it was like, why are we doing this and everything? And Laura, you know, eventually sucked me in and I started watching it. I think the first season I watched was Juan Pablo's and it was just a complete disaster. And I started developing, you know, opinions about people and everything. And it was so cute because she used to say, like, like, you should go on this show. Like, you would do so good. And she's like, we could get like a fake divorce. And, you know, you could go on this thing and then come back to me, uh, the whole thing. And um, it was just it was just really, really funny. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of it drew me in a little bit. Did you keep watching? No, no. I mean, I watched it only with her. But after Lord passed, like, that's when it kind of ended. Mm-hmm. The craziest thing is, is, you know, anybody who's ever lost somebody can relate to this. You're constantly looking for signs. And some signs aren't that obvious. And for this, it was crazy obvious, even though I had a lot of um, questions and hesitation to do it. But the show actually reached out to me. I never applied. I was never nominated. Um, Because I started the L4 project, one of the casting directors, her husband created like an app for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So on Instagram, I came up as somebody that she should know. So it was like one thing led to another. Then all of a sudden, like they're reaching out and we've had this. I've had this conversation with Laura about the show and going on it that it was just like this is a crazy sign. Mm-hmm. And I originally said no to going on the show twice just because it was like, do I want to do this with my son, be away, but also, you know, my in-laws, do they want to see me, you know, be romantic with somebody on TV? Am I even ready for that? Mm -hmm. So every reason possible. um, And I'm, I'm actually a private person until now. Uh, Yeah, like, I mean, really, like, it's just like, stay out of my business. But um, I also saw what Laura was able to accomplish when she did a lot of her Facebook lives with um, showing what it was like to be a, you know, mom and, you know, new wife battling cancer. Mm -hmm. And it created like this whole community and people got really engaged and it helped a lot. So it started to become like, maybe, maybe I got something to say. And did you have, I mean, since you just said you're a private person, did you have any concept of how the show would affect your life in the long run? Like, had you talked to former contestants to talk about? No, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know anybody that, you know, was on the show in the past. Um, when you're thinking about going on the show, the only thing you can think about is what can go wrong Mm -hmm. because you have no idea what can go right. You've never met the people, the guys on the show. You've never met Katie or anything. You're just like, Oh God, it's going to be embarrassing. Like I have a professional life. Is everything going to fall apart? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then it's once 
you know, once you kind of take that leap and you're not scared of what can go bad and you just kind of do it for yourself, mm -hmm. um, just to prove that you can. And, you know, once I took that leap, it took me a while when I was on the show to kind of get going because I didn't understand any of it. But then once once I started feeling things for Katie, then it just became just kind of normal everyday stuff. Yeah. And when you signed up for the show, where was L4 Project at? Um, what, in terms of like sales and everything? Yeah, and I guess like your footprint and how many yeah. people you were so, reaching. So, I mean, L4, it's still very much a small, like nonprofit. Um, and really what L4 is doing is it's a fundraising platform for, you know, 501c3s to drive awareness, but also create financial resources uh, for them through the sale of, of merchandise. And 100% of the, the profits go there. No one's on salary. It's a literally a community of volunteers. Mm -hmm. um, and so prior to the show, you know, sales were down because it was one of those things when, when I started it, there was a spike in sales when Laura early on, when Laura passed, when everything was still fresh, but then it just like radio silent. Mm -hmm. And I felt personally like a failure because I wasn't able to keep everything moving because I attached like Laura and her legacy to all four. So I felt like I was underserving uh, her and like my commitment and all of the donations were in Northeast Ohio. So it was all very much saturated in this area. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I went on the show and I was able to kind of tell, you know, my background and Laura, my story and, and everything, um, sales started to, to spike. They started being more national mm -hmm. and it broke out of Northeast Ohio and, and was, you know, I mean, now we get orders from, from everywhere. Did you have a moment where it was like the sales increased so rapidly that you guys were struggling to keep up with orders? No, not necessarily. And I mean, even, even now sales are, I mean, I think if I were to ballpark it right now without running a report, um, you know, gross sales since I got off the show, probably around, you know, $22,000, um, which, you know, when, when you're selling $20 t-shirts, mm -hmm. it's not, not bad. Um, but still, it's still very small organization. I mean, the operation is run just by me. Um, we, I've got a social media manager. Um, I have like outsourced some like consulting and some website people. But other than that, when orders come in, because it's print on demand, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't require a significant amount of, of work, which is nice because it allows us to remain lean and more of the, you know, dollar per dollar to be able to go to, you know, the organizations that need it. And what organizations are they? So, so our mission statement is to support organizations and individuals um, that are battling cancer um, and make that journey easier through supporting, you know, some of the free services. So we're not a part of like research. 
So we don't give to research. We really look at organizations like Stewart's Caring Place or, you know, um, uh, we've done things with uh, Boys and Girls Club because, you know, children are affected uh, by cancer as well, but also Akron Children's Hospital, their shower center for pediatric cancer and blood disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really looking at kind of that 360, all of the different elements that go into a cancer diagnosis that often go, I don't know, unnoticed. Mm-hmm. How has um, balancing L4 project, professional life, James, your own personal life, <laughs> how does that, and, and now with the show having media appearances, how, does, how do you work through all of that? I mean, I'm not sure if I figured that out myself. It's difficult because I'm I'm learning to not be so giving of my time to things that I don't feel passionate about. Um, you know, James obviously comes first, um, and just being a single parent alone is difficult. Um, but I'm lucky because I have you know a lot of help, so I've got grandparents everywhere. Um, But at the same time, like something's got to give. So, you know, oftentimes I run L4 after James goes to bed after my, you know, normal nine to five job. And, you know, social media is kind of sprinkled in in there in terms of, you know, the bachelor and 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 all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, some of them go very much hand in hand, you know, like this interview is about the bachelor and L4. So, um, there's crossover. Yeah. Talk to me about social media. I can tell where you are all the time because people are taking pictures of you. Yeah. Oh yeah. What, what is that like in your day to day life being recognized and having that? Well, I mean, I'm 37 and I thought that I completely avoided all of this. (laughs) I mean, I think Facebook came to my college, maybe my sophomore or junior year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I didn't have MySpace or, or anything. So now it's it feels as though like you're connected all the time, which takes like discipline because my phone's constantly buzzing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I'm trying to like separate myself from that. But I would say this in terms of outside of like social media and walking around, um, I couldn't be happier to live in Akron. Mm-hmm. Like people around here are some of the greatest like humans I've ever seen. And I've traveled, you know, like I, I've lived in other places. I get it. But for the most part, people like they'll say hi outside. They won't take up too much time. I'm happy to always talk. Um, but then there's the social media element. It's almost like two worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the real life and then there's that. The social media stuff, just it's overwhelming Mm -hmm. Um, and it can be a lot. But at the same time, I'm trying to use the platform to do some good. So actually, right before you guys came in, there's a new GoFundMe that I'm um, pushing. Uh, Jalen's journey, this poor 12 year old child uh, battling colon cancer uh, just passed away. And their family is left with like a laundry list of bills to cover funeral costs. And also I think there's a single mother um, to be able to give her some money. So 
you know, instead of just like pushing, you know, teeth whitener and trash on Instagram, I'm trying to use whatever influence I have to bring it to people that otherwise wouldn't be able to tell their story. Yeah, I've noticed you use your platform for that a lot. And I know you did the, um, was the fundraiser around here that you auctioned off a... Let me see. There's been so many. There's been so many. Um, oh, I mean, there's, I don't know. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm constantly trying to do that. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm very cognizant of is I never, I never want to forget like what it felt like to go through what we went through. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want time to ever heal that. It's and I don't want to lose empathy for those that are still struggling and trying to find their own way. Um, so that's mainly why, you know, I, I do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's I'm not like a, a saint. There's selfish reasons why I do it 100 percent. And, you know, I want to be a good example for James, too, mm-hmm. that even though there's all this like supposed glitz and glamour, which there isn't. Um, you know, just try to use it for good. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, it's not like I'm healing the world. I'm not like anything like that. And I don't think that I just, just want to try. Is it weird though to have, I mean, you said you're not perfect, but I mean, Twitter thinks you are. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the second the wind changes, uh, I'll turn into a demon to somebody, you know? It's like, it, you can't live and die off that stuff. But I mean, I, I appreciate it a lot less. Were you paying attention to Twitter while the show was airing? I'm, I've never tweeted once. Mm. So people were sending me tons of stuff. Usually, like, if there's anything going on with social media or like a you know, uh, some sort of tweet or funny meme or something. It's usually coming from my friends because I mean, that's time consuming, <laughs> you know, and it's also exhausting reading what, you know, s- people think about you mm-hmm. because for every nine, like great comments, if you get one, that's like, you know, negative, you can only remember the one. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a, um, there's a, like a mental, ne- like negative mental impact that those things can actually have. And one thing I'm actually happy about is, you know, James will grow up in this social media world. And if it wasn't for going on the show, I would be the person like, turn your phone off. But now I understand like how difficult it actually is and how like cyberbullying can happen and you know, your, your identity, Mm -hmm. um, is very much linked to how many likes you get and popularity and all of this. And they're all from people that you've never met. And so it's like a popularity contest amongst strangers. Were you watching the show as it was? Yeah. What is, I mean, who were you, were you watching it with anyone? So this, when the season aired, um, I was actually coaching James's T-ball league. Mm-hmm. He was in a wobble T-ball league. And every game ended at 8 o'clock on Monday. 
and that's when the show airs, 8 o'clock Monday. So I'd be done with that, and I'd pull in here, and there would be tons of people already in my living room. <laughs> like, I never knew who was coming, how many people. Yes. Okay. But, like, sometimes there'd be, you know, 30, 40 people in here, like, where are you? It's about to start. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Um, but it's it's wild watching it back because you remember it from just a different vantage point, mm -hmm. you know? And to see how, like, editing occurs and, you know, structure and all of that, um, it's wild because you don't know what's going to be aired, what conversation, how it's going to be done. Um, so as it kind of unfolds, you're, it's, it's new. Mm -hmm. It's brand new, even though you've lived it. Did you get, I mean, obviously you're not in every scene. You're not a part of every conversation. Was it weird hearing what other people were saying about different situations or saying about you? Not, no, not really. I mean, I felt like, I felt like, it was, I mean, certain scenarios were, well, well, here, let me back up. Like, when you're shooting, you're not around everybody all the time. I mean, there's, there's interviews, there's pockets where certain people go away and come back. So, one, you never knew what kind of relationship Katie was having with the other contestants and the guys really didn't talk about it um, amongst themselves so everyone kind of thinks they have the best relationship going into it and then you watch it back and you're like oh yeah I do see a connection there um, which is which is great too because I mean honestly the guys on the show are awesome all of them even the ones that seem annoying do you watch the show I mean yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like all of them are actually really good people mm -hmm. I wasn't surprised with anybody who got like a bad, like a villain at it. Mm -hmm. I knew they would. Okay. It's just based on their personality, how they say things, you know, how easily uh, they can get stirred up. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was fun to watch. <laughs> but yeah, I think watching the whole thing back, I mean, it seems like a blur. I mean, I got back in April, mm -hmm. then it didn't air till June. And then... Oh, it's like 10 weeks after that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a blur. Do you sign an NDA or like, are you not allowed to talk to anyone about your experiences for that April to June period? Yeah. I mean, I'm not allowed to talk about anything about like, like production or anything like that. But I mean, honestly, there's not too many like secrets mm -hmm. like at all. Um, I don't even know what I'd share that would be interesting <laughs> Got it. about it. I mean, you're just kind of, we were a quarantine season, so oh, right. it's like we're all just sitting in one area the whole time. It's mm -hmm. a lot of waiting around. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I'm not allowed to talk really about anything in terms of like behind the lens. Like I can talk about any, I can talk about things that you saw on TV, Got it. but not anything that you didn't see. Did you have a roommate or did they... Yeah. 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 Uh, Josh. So Josh didn't get enough airtime. Okay. Guy from Miami. Awesome human being. Mm -hmm. Um, actually when I got hurt in bash ball mm -hmm. and just destroyed, uh, he like, 
put my clothes on every morning because I had four so nice. I had four broken ribs. Oh my god! Yeah, and Are I you healed from that. Yeah, I'm okay. good now, but I couldn't leave the set because it was a bubble season. I couldn't go to the hospital, oh. and so <laughs> like it took me so long. It took me probably like an hour and a half to get out of bed every day. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like I was in really bad shape and there was this really funny thing that was going online. Um, it was like, look at what a gentleman Michael is. He won't sit down before Katie sits down. And it was just because it, like I had four broken ribs and it took me like 30 minutes to sit down. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I'll take that. Uh-huh. <laughs> what was it like choosing to leave the show and then getting to come home and Mm-hmm. be with James and be with your family again. Yeah, well, the thing was is, I mean, what they showed on TV, it almost looked like one isolated call from James. Mm-hmm. And there were multiple. It was actually difficult to FaceTime him as much as I wanted because there was a three-hour time difference. Mm-hmm. Um, the way filming is actually done, it's not like one o'clock every day we can FaceTime. Um, it's like, okay, Michael, we've got 30 minutes. If you want to talk to James, give him a call, but he's with other people. And sometimes they didn't pick up their phone and they weren't ready. And so there were, there were more days than I preferred where I didn't speak with them, but he did start to, you know, discuss two weeks prior that, you know, missing me and all of that. So all of that kind of built up. And so when he finally started feeling like he was the reason why I didn't want to come home. Mm -hmm. It like broke me. And I was like, I mean, my parents were in New Mexico. They were like ready to meet Katie and everything. But it was that moment that it was just like, can't, I can't do it anymore. Like it was, it was a very different conversation. The one that was on camera versus the ones that happened in the past. And just as a father, I could, feel that he needed me. So it was tough because I wanted to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was, I was kind of invested in the whole thing, but you know, I think that's just how parenting is. You know, it's not about what you want um, sometimes. Wait, so was, was James also in New Mexico or just your parents were there? No, just, just my parents. Because it was right before. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, James was never going to meet Katie or mm-hmm. be on set. I mean, it was a quarantine season, so they all they weren't going to do hometowns in Akron. Mm-hmm. They were all doing it in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. But if James were to have come, um, this is the interesting part. This is one thing where people don't understand time. Um, people think, like, the next day is hometowns. Mm-hmm. If James were to have come when he called... He would have had to come to New Mexico, been in quarantine for 10 days, and then he wouldn't even play. The the show would nearly be over. Mm. Like the whole thing would nearly be over by the time, which was another additional like two weeks. So it's that fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I if. Because I've seen some things online where, like, hometowns were next week. Like, why didn't he do it? It's like, no, they weren't next week. Mm-hmm. Like, if from the time I got that phone call, it was another week and a half before I could even see him. 
Because <laughs> he would have been in quarantine, isolated from me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like, no, I'm like, I'm going to see him tomorrow. Wow. And what was that like, not just leaving James, but also, you know, your nine to five jobs and the L4 project? I mean, was that just on hold for the time that you were? No, I mean, I was able with um, MA Workwear um, to, I mean, I've got a great team down there. They were able to pick up the slack. I was able to check you know, emails periodically, but I'd always have like a producer over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and with L4 project, I just delegated, um, people just, you know, picked it up for short term. So what was your reunion? Like when you finally got to see James again? Oh my God. Well, I first, uh, I met my parents at like their Airbnb mm-hmm. and it was really interesting because they were getting ready to like meet Katie and then all of a sudden the van pulls up and I'm the only one that gets out and they were just like so relieved because they're like we don't have to be on tv like we don't have to do any of this my mom had been like picking out a million outfits you know and they're just like oh my god like what's going on and then we we flew out the next day to to see, um, to get back here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I got home really late and James came in my room, uh, when he woke up and he just like gave me a big hug Mm -hmm. and he was just so happy. I mean, it was a long time to be away. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, 40 days. Yeah. Any, any regrets from doing the show? No. I mean, one thing that, you know, the, cancer journey has really taught me um is that like i don't fear things the same way i used to like which can be good and bad (laughs) but i don't i don't doing not doing something because you're scared to do it is never a justifiable reason Mm -hmm. like i like to kind of test myself i mean it's an awesome life experience I felt like I didn't change when I was on the show. Um, That was who I actually am. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy they portrayed it that way (laughs) because not everyone's so lucky. Um, But I would, yeah, I mean, it was, it's something I'm, I'm happy I did. Yeah. Any, any plans for paradise or? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no plans for anything right now. I'm just, you know, trying to get back to like normal life. Okay. And uh, can we talk about Amanda Klutz? I, well, yeah, you could bring it up. <laughs> Is there a question? I, I, maybe not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. How was dinner with Amanda Klutz? Mm-hmm. Well, Amanda's... So I actually didn't know who Amanda was. Once I got back from the show, um, she reached out to me. And we started talking about, I mean, all the similarities that we have in our life. I mean, her being from Canton, me from Akron, you know, single parents, widows. Um, we, you know, it was very fresh from, for her. And I was a little bit farther along in the grieving process, but a great like friendship developed um, where, you know, we could kind of lean on each other and we understood, you know, when she was going on Dancing with the Stars, you know, it's, you know, in some of the very emotional moments that she had on the show, 
like I could relate to those because I had very public emotional moments on The Bachelorette. So it was nice to be able to talk to somebody who understood not just grief, but doing it publicly. Mm. And so, yeah, she was in town for um, uh, Christmas and yeah, she went out, had a great time, like could have talked for hours like or days, man. I mean, it was great. We actually went to uh, Gervaisi first and, you know, they're like, we're completely booked. And we're like, okay, cool. So then we're like, we were thinking about going to Red Robin. <laughs> like, this is that glamorous life I'm, I'm telling you about. <laughs> and we're like, let's try Burwood real quick. Got with Burwood, had some drinks and just, yeah, she's an amazing human. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Gervaisi. What are some of your other favorite uh, Akron area restaurants and establishments? Oh, I love uh, Vaquero's. Um, Trattoria. Um, I'm a big fan. I actually go out a lot in, uh, like Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Um, but in, but in Akron, let me think here. I like Pavona's pizza a lot. Um, I like Papa Joe's down Mm -hmm. in the valley. Um, Jeff Bruno's, you know, family friend. Um, actually, I think the best, some of the best food is that Asia Sushi Gourmet. Have you been there in the Valley? No. Most authentic, like, Szechuan, like, food I've ever had. So you got to check it out. That's all we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to join us again next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday or thereabouts wherever you download your favorite podcast. And they're also available on beaconjournal.com and our various apps. Before we go, I have to give a thank you to our producer, BJ Lisko. Without him, well... We would just have dead air. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you're already signed up, as you know, you always have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week, now you know Akron. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.